Sure, if you could write that down and put it on the bulletin board, that would help. Thank you, Carl. Okay, if you open up to Paul's letter to the Colossians, we're going to try to finish chapter 1 today, and then I've got notes for chapter 2. So if we finish chapter 1, we're going to go right into chapter 2 and, um, and just continue Paul's train of thought here. And so uh, we'll be looking at uh, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. And uh, if you would bow your heads, we'll go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we thank you, Lord, that uh, Roe versus Wade has been overturned after almost 50 years. And, uh, and, but uh, the battle's not over, Lord. There's, there's going to be uh, states. It's gone back to the states. There's going to be states outlawing abortion. And then there's going to be other states uh, um, that are going to be uh, just as unrestrictive on abortion as Roe versus Wade was. And we're in a liberal state, Lord, so show us. Give us the wisdom uh, to identify good candidates and good legislation to support and help us to stand. I pray for the March for Life and crisis pregnancy centers, and we know that those are under attacks and in churches. But just cause us to, to fearlessly serve you, Lord, and to stand up for you and for your word, and yes, to stand up for the unborn as well. And Lord, as we uh, study your word today, I pray it would be your word that is proclaimed from this pulpit. That uh, you called fallible men to proclaim your infallible, perfect truth. And uh, we always get in the way, one, one degree or another. So I just pray, Lord, you'd cancel the man. And that you would anoint me with your spirit and empower me to proclaim your truth. So that I would not lead anyone astray. Uh, I pray that you'd cause all of us, Lord to test what we hear with your word, to love you and to love your word and to love one another and stand by each other during these difficult times. I pray that your spirit would give us all understanding of this passage and that your spirit would empower us to obey your truths from the heart. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Okay, so as we've been going through Colossians, we saw that we see that Paul really commends the Colossian believers for their faith, their hope, and their love. So they're doing pretty good. But Paul didn't plant this church. He never met these people. The church was planted by his buddy Epaphras. And, uh, and Epaphras is giving them reports. And uh, the good report is their faith, hope, and love. The bad report is there's false teachers in their midst, trying to lead them astray into some type of Gnostic, secret knowledge, uh, mystery cult. And, uh, and it was a cult that blended legalistic Judaism with dietary laws, observing the Sabbath day and the feast days, circumcision, and then also involved worship of angels and work salvation. And they demoted Jesus to being um, just one of many intermediaries between God and man. And so Paul, uh, you know, they taught salvation through mysticism and secret knowledge. So Paul has to proclaim to them that, no, Jesus is supreme. He's the preeminent one. He created all those angelic beings. He created the whole universe. And, uh, and so Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. He rules over all creation. He is God. He is creator, he sustains the universe, and he's the redeemer. So Paul's actually arguing that the true knowledge, the true gnosis, is found in Jesus. The true wisdom is found in Jesus, not the wisdom of the world. You want to see where the wisdom of the world is getting now? Look up this guy, Yuval Noah Harari, out of Israel. Bill Gates loves his stuff, and... Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum loves his stuff. Bill Gates endorses his books. And it's some crazy, crazy stuff. That's, the, that's where the, the wisdom of the world and our Darwinian evolution and then New Age type beliefs. And now this guy's reached the point where he believes that we're just data. Human beings are nothing but data. 
and he wants to connect us to the internet of all things, and, um, and he's really big on freedom of information. Not freedom of expression or freedom of speech. He makes it clear. Freedom of speech is the individual. Uh, freedom of information is the whole collective. So that freedom of information flows two ways. It's not just you getting your word out. It's also uh, the government getting inside of you and tracking you and figuring out what your thoughts are. And, um, and he wants to bring about this, uh, I think it's Nietzsche's overmen, Nietzsche's supermen, this next stage. And then we're going to have to decide. He talks about us and the animals. It's going to be the superhumans versus the regular humans and decide if, if the regular humans are expendable. Well, if you, if you don't like the Lord Jesus and the wisdom found in him, this is what the alternative is. Paul told us all about this in Romans 1, that the invisible God has made his existence and his power known to us through the visible creation, through what he has created, but man suppresses that truth. We profess to be wise, but we make fools of ourselves by foolish speculation, and then we bow down before statues, before four-legged creatures. And so that's what's going on now with the wisdom of man. You worship the creation, and then, uh, and I'm telling you, if you choose to worship creation rather than worshiping God, your view of creation is going to end up being destruction. It's going to be the antithesis of creation. And um, because the evil one that these other guys serve, he came to steal and to kill and destroy. And he's a liar. And so Paul has to warn them about this. Now, um, he says that uh, all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. The pleroma, the fullness. For them, for the Gnostic heretics, the pleroma was all these different steps to God. And Paul says, no, Jesus, in, in him, all the fullness of deity, all the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. Okay? And that Jesus reconciles all things to himself. And, um, and so... Uh, Paul then rejoices in his suffering and imprisonment. He says, I'm willing to suffer uh, in order to accomplish what God called me to accomplish in ministering to you. And, um, and then he preaches the hidden mystery in verses 26 to 29. It's very interesting that the ancient Greek mystery cults, and some of them blended with Christianity, okay, um, the ancient Greek mystery cults acted like, you know, there's, there's a first-class religion, you know, first-class spiritual people and second-class spiritual people and second-class spiritual people don't know the secret truths. They don't know the secret handshakes and all that kind of stuff. And, um, but Paul says, look, you want a mystery, God has revealed mysteries to us in his word. They were unknown in the Old Testament, but these mysteries have been revealed to us through Christ. But he's saying that Jesus, in Jesus Christ, in Jesus of Nazareth, is the fullness of God and is the fullness of wisdom and the fullness of spiritual knowledge. He says we're complete in Christ. It doesn't get any better than Jesus. And so when these Herares come up, you warn people about them. But you encourage people to stay away from that kind of teaching. You cling to Jesus. You know, I think I mentioned last week, I bumped into an old friend, him and his wife, that at one time were praising Jesus in the 1980s, and then 25 years later, they were into some UFO cult. Okay? Don't, don't, don't make Jesus a fad. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the ruler over all creation. He's God the Son become a man. It doesn't get any better than Jesus. Okay? And so now Paul talks about this hidden mystery that he's preaching. He says, you want a mystery? I'll give you a mystery. The mystery cults think they have all these secret teachings. They're, they're, they're just giving you old beat-up superstition, worship the earth garbage, Paul says, you want a mystery, I'll give you a mystery. So, verses 26 through 29. 
the mystery which had been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to those who are set apart for God. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles. The Gentiles, they were pagans, they were non-Jews. And what is this mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay? Don't let anybody ooh and ah you with their false teachings about some great mystery that they just figured out. The greatest mystery for us Gentiles is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we'll talk about that. Him we preach. That's Jesus. I preach Jesus. When you share your faith with others, you preach Jesus. And I hope and pray that no matter what people do to us, we will continue to preach Jesus. Some of us preach Jesus quietly. I I, I don't know if if you know Cease. Cease preaches Jesus, but she's just a little just slightly more quiet than I am. Okay? Some of us preach Jesus quietly. By the way, some of the quiet Christians have bigger impact than the loud ones, like me, the loud, obnoxious ones. Okay? It's not my fault that God made me born in half Italian in, in Essex County, New Jersey. But God gave me a mouth. He gave me lungs, and he called me to be loud. So whether he called you to be quiet or he called you to be loud, you preach Jesus. I don't preach Bill Gates from this pulpit. Okay? I warn about Bill Gates from this pulpit. I'm not here to preach Bill Gates or Anthony Fauci. Okay? I preach Jesus. And Paul says, him, that's Jesus we preach, warning every man. I'm sure you might have a visitor from... uh, one of your friends might come and visit and say, boy, your pastor's negative. He's always giving out these warnings. Hey, it comes with the turf. The Bible's filled with warnings. Okay? Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man. You know, some people might complain, no, your church teaches too much theology, Bible doctrine. No, we... You, you can't have godly preaching without warning and teaching. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. See, wisdom, Sophia in the Greek, is not a bad word. Okay? What Paul's opposed to is what the world calls wisdom. The false anti-Christian wisdom, which isn't wisdom at all. It's foolishness. Okay? Him, Jesus, we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. See, if you go to a church and in the preaching, there's really no warning and there's no teaching in all wisdom, then don't expect there to be any spiritual growth in the flock. Okay? Uh, By the way, there are some churches where they just tell people what they want to hear. And they build big churches. Not all big churches. So there's some big churches that are preaching the meat of the word. And I praise God for that. But there's some pre- big churches that turn Christianity to self-help. And they make you feel good. Seeker-sensitive services. They're not into discipling Christians. And bringing them, training them up in maturity. Um, sometimes sometimes if, if you're lucky, they'll give you the gospel message. Be a little evangelistic. But then they'll just leave you as spiritual babes. And... Um, and so you, you often get that without the word. Let's not give out warnings. We don't want people to think we're negative. We want to be positive all the time. And we don't want to get into all this boring Bible doctrine stuff and theology. And, um, uh, and, and you know, but, but God doesn't want us ignorant. Okay? Uh, but I will say this. There are some of those churches. I knew a church that I thought, why would anybody go to that church it's just so watered down. And by the way, the, the church I'm thinking in my mind, I'm not going to mention the church, but it's, uh, they've had several pastors since then. For all I know, they preach in the meat of the word now. But at this particular time, they weren't. And I thought, why would anybody go there? And then I found two mature Christian brothers 
who had been trained by the same pastor than I was when I trained by when I first got saved, and I found out they were going there. I thought, why would they go to a church like that? Why not go to my church? Where at least they can actually say amen during the, during the sermons because they agree with me and stuff like that. But what I found out from talking with them, they knew they didn't need to go to our church. They were already grounded in the word. They needed, God was calling them to go to a church that was filled with fluff. And they had an adult Sunday school class that they taught. And there were like 400 people at the church they had like 75 to 100 adults who were coming there. There would be a lot of guys who are going to show up to heaven someday and the Lord's going to say, well done, pastor. And the guy's going to say, well, Lord, I, you know, I think you mistook me for somebody else. I was never a pastor. And the Lord Jesus is going to tell you, you think the guy that got behind your pulpit was a pastor? Okay. We've got to preach the truth. Don't be ashamed for preaching Jesus. Okay? A lot of people are going to try to make us ashamed for preaching Jesus. A lot of people are going to try to make us ashamed that look what you did. You took, all the, you took the right for ladies to have abortion away from them. With this Roe versus Wade being overturned by the Supreme Court. And it's just like, they're going to act like we're real evil people. No, we just, we're not into killing babies. Okay? We're not into killing babies or creating God's image. And by the way, Roe versus Wade didn't do anything except turn it back to the states. And, um, but we're going to be made out to be bad guys because it, anything good happens, we get blamed for it. Anything bad happens, it enables the other side to just come down on us. Now, you might be saying, well, why are, why are all these warnings? Well, Paul's telling us. Him we preach. We preach Jesus warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. You want wisdom? Come to Christ, not the, the mystery cults. And the goal of biblical preaching is that we may present every man perfect, mature, complete in Christ Jesus. Verse 29, to this end I also labor, striving according to his working which works in me mightily. And God's called us all to different ministries. Okay? Is God working in you mightily? Or are you getting in the way? Okay? Paul, I mean, Paul could say this. Maybe when I have a good day, maybe I could say, yeah, God's really working through me in a powerful way. And I wouldn't be lying. On a bad day, no, I can't say that. Okay? But we want, we want the Holy Spirit to work mightily through us. And when the Holy Spirit's working through you, if you're a, a quiet Christian, it's going to look a lot different than it's going to be the Lord working mightily through a, a louder Christian. But we're a body of believers. It says the body, human body has different parts. We need different people with different gifts. But be all that God called you to be. God's given you a ministry. Build, be diligent at it. And, and uh, allow God to work through you. So Paul preached the hidden mystery. It was hidden for ages in the Old Testament. But Christianity's mysteries, unlike the mysteries of the Gnostics, are revealed to all believers. See, the Gnostics were trying to, and these were like, you know, the Gnosticism with a capital G, is came into existence about 140 AD, and it's like a heretical offshoot of Christianity. So this is like some type of Gentile Gnosticism that blended with Judaism. The Gnosticism that came later on, 100 years later, was an anti-Jewish Gnosticism. But they were always acting like, when they tried to infiltrate Christianity, they acted like they'd talk to you. And then they'd say, well, don't you know this mystery? And they say, no, I don't know what you're talking about. So, oh, oh, okay. You haven't been initiated. You're one of those second-class Christians. Okay? By the way, I would say this. Because, because the total presence of sin hasn't been removed from us yet, we haven't seen Jesus face-to-face, -face, we all got Gnostic tendencies. Okay? I like apologetics. I like defending the faith. So the temptation is to look at other Christians who don't, like apologetics, who don't know how to defend the faith, the temptation might be, okay, that's a second-class Christian. No. 
That's Gnosticism. That's not biblical Christianity. Maybe you're one of those Christians. You see the writing on the wall. So you can food and you store food. And then the temptation might be to look at other Christians who don't do that. Oh, that's a second-class Christian. So we, we can develop our own little Gnostic heresies, if you will. Okay? But anytime we come up with the idea that here's a first-level Christian and a second-level Christian, and we're the initiated, they're not. Paul says, no, Jew and Gentile, male and female, we're all one in Christ. No such thing as a first-class Christian and a second-class Christian. And so Christianity's mysteries, though they were hidden in the Old Testament, uh, unlike the mysteries of the Gnostics, are revealed to all believers. So whenever you see the word mystery in the scriptures, even if it's in the book of Revelation, don't like, oh man, I'm going I'm to be the one guy who's going to figure out what this mystery is. No, just read the context, read the passage. Whenever the Bible talks about a mystery, it tells you exactly what the mystery is. Okay, Even when Jesus was on trial, he was like, why are you bringing in these witnesses? Saying what I said. When I spoke to you, I spoke in public. It wasn't hidden. Jesus proclaimed his message from the rooftops, and he expects us to do the same. Okay? Uh, so, uh, this hidden mystery preached by Paul, this ministry God gave him as the apostle to the Gentiles, it was hidden in the Old Testament, but now it's revealed to his saints, to, to believers. And the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that might not sound like a big deal, okay? But you've got to understand, you know, all the nations had worshipped false gods. And then God decided, I'm going to enter into the battle of the gods. Mankind has perverted my revelation of myself in creation. Now mankind is worshiping false gods. Each nation's got its own false god or false gods. So uh, I'm going to have to enter into the battle of the gods. The Bible said, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Now you have many false Elohim, local gods. So God picks Abraham from him and his wife Sarah miraculously produces a son and becomes the Jewish nation and, and is now Yahweh, the I am who I am, the eternal God, is the one true Elohim who created the infinite creator Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. He is the God of Israel. So people would be led to the Jewish faith, to the God of Israel, and then be taught that the God of Israel is the Elohim who created the heavens and the earth, the one true eternal God, okay? What this mystery is, so in the Old Testament, if you were a Gentile, if you were not Jewish, and you wanted to be in fellowship with the one true God, you had to go to the Jews, or hopefully they would come to you, and they would talk to you about the one true Elohim and tell you his name was Yahweh, and tell you that someday he's going to provide salvation for us. And then you would get circumcised if you were a male. Uh, and you would convert to the Jewish faith. So could Gentiles be saved in the Old Testament? Yes. But like Ruth and Rahab the harlot, they had to convert to the Jewish faith to be saved. Now Paul is saying... God did a new thing when he sent his son. God the son became a man. And now this mystery that was hidden in the Old Testament is revealed now in the New Testament. God revealed it to Paul, Saul of Tarsus, on the road to Damascus when he made him the apostle to the Gentiles. This mystery hidden in the Old Testament, revealed in the New Testament, is what? It's Christ in you. Here, O nations. Even the Old Testament said, uh, turn to me and be saved, for I am God. And there is no other. Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth 
for I am God and there is no other, Isaiah 45, 22. Now in the New Testament, yes, you can turn to the God of Israel to be saved, but you don't have to. Get circumcised and place yourself under the Old Testament law. And so that mystery, oh Gentiles, I don't know, most of us are probably Gentiles. We've had a few Jewish people come here and all, and that's great, but most of us are Gentiles. And, and uh, this great mystery is Christ in you, oh Gentiles. The hope of glory. The same hope of future glory and inheritance that will never fade away that was meant for the Jews if they would believe. We have that same hope for us. And now Christ, the Jewish Messiah, came to rescue Israel. He now dwells in us. And we have that future inheritance and so Paul's saying, you want a mystery? Here's a mystery. But we got a God who reveals mysteries to everybody. Jew and Gentile, rich Christians, poor Christians, popular Christians, unpopular Christians. If you bend the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, he reveals this mystery to you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. When this world decides it has no more room for Christians and starts doing to us what's being done to our brothers and sisters in China, in North Korea, in uh, Nigeria, when they start doing that to us and they act like you know they want to beat on us and imprison us or whatever it may be, we still have a hope. It's a hope that will not die. That hope is... Christ in me, Christ in you, and that is the hope of glory. I don't put my hope in the UN. I don't put my hope in the wisdom of man, okay? I put my hope in the Lord Jesus. And he not only sits at the right hand, the ultimate position of authority in the universe at the right hand of the Father, but he also dwells in me, and he dwells in you. That's something Bill Gates can't take away from you. That's something with the guy in the White House can't take away from you. And uh, so the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul preached this to every man, and the goal, again, the goal is not to get people saved and then just leave them alone. The goal is to get people saved, lead them to Christ, and then help them to mature in Christ. So it's discipleship. Paul preached to every man. The goal was every man would be perfect in Christ Jesus. Well, that job will be complete when Jesus returns and we see Jesus face to face. So Paul describes preaching as warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, so that we may present every man perfect in Christ, mature in Christ. If you're going to mature, if I'm going to mature, we need preaching that is with warning and teaching and wisdom. Okay? If there's no warning, no teaching filled with wisdom in your preaching, then your flock will not mature. Now, they might mature if you get a couple crazy dudes in the church teaching the adult Bible study like my two old friends, okay? And, um, but it's not going to be from the so-called shepherd behind the, behind the pulpit. Um, we've got to warn every man. What do, you, what, do, what do I have to warn as a pastor? When we proclaim God's truth to other people, if we're going to be true preachers of God, we've got to warn them. What do we have to warn them about? We've got to warn them against false doctrine, false teachers. Jesus warned us there'd be false prophets who come to us um, as wolves in sheep's clothing. We've got to sound the warning. Okay? False doctrine, false teaching. Also, we've got to warn each other against sin. 
None of us are safe. God never called me, and I don't think he called anybody else here, a man or a woman after his own heart. Yet God said that of King David. Yet David, a man after God's own heart, still fell into the sins of adultery and murder. None of us are immune to sin and temptation. So the true preaching is going to be filled with God's wisdom, not the fake wisdom of the Gnostic heretics of the mystery cults. And believe me, they're still with us today. Um, True wisdom, you teach in true wisdom, the wisdom of God's word, and you warn against false teachers and false doctrines, and you warn people against falling into temptation, caving into temptation, and committing sin, and you also warn your people that if you're a believer, suffering and persecution comes with the deal. You know, 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says that all who desire to live godly lives will suffer persecution. And we say, well, that doesn't mean all believers. Yes, it means all believers. Just that in America, we've had it so good, people just make fun of us. Okay? It's going to get worse than that. It's going to get a lot worse than that. So if you go home today, you say, man, you guys, too negative, too much warning. No, Paul, Paul says you can't preach the true mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. You can't preach the true Jesus without warning and without teaching in wisdom. I've actually had people who used to come to the church say, you know, I had one guy telling me that I, I, I prayed about it and I found out what your problem is. I said, well, so, okay, well, what's, what's that? Sometimes people come to me with a list of things, and I take notes, and then I, they pray about it and stuff, you know, and um, um, I've had guys living in sin, criticizing my ministry, and I thought, Lord, should I even listen to this guy? I thought, you know, hey, sometimes you get good information from a bad source, and so I write down a list of all the areas the guy thinks I'm messed up, and, and I just pray. I go to before the Lord. And ask him, you know, because until we see Jesus face to face, we all, we all got a long way to go. And, um, but, uh, but I had one brother told me, he says, I, I figured out what your problem is. I said, what's my problem? He says, you got too much wisdom. I said, what? He said, you got too much wisdom. And he's because this guy was looking at the Bible, and every time he sees God bad-mouthing wisdom, he doesn't look at the context and the context is it's anti-Christian wisdom. It's the false wisdom of the world. Okay? Now, I have a problem with wisdom. I don't have enough of it. Okay? Um, God is all wise. We're going we're to see that Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.30, he calls Jesus our wisdom. That's why we don't need the secret mystery cults we got Jesus, and in Jesus is all wisdom. So we grow in Christ. We don't grow outside of Christ, or apart from Christ, or against Christ. And, um, and so I had to ask this brother, I said, you know, I said, well, you think I'm, I have, I'm, I'm wiser than Paul was? Who has more wisdom, me or Paul? He looked at me like I was an idiot. He said, Paul. And I said, okay, well, then he's got a bigger problem than I have. And I... <laughs> And I walked away, and he just, he just didn't, didn't figure it out. Um, God, God saves us in the midst of our spiritual ignorance, but he doesn't want us to stay there. He doesn't want us to be biblically illiterate. He wants us to study the word, and then we also need to refute those who contradict, especially if you're a preacher, Titus 1.9. You not only exhort your flock in sound doctrine, but you refute those who contradict. I got nothing personal against the Bill Gates and the Yuval Noah Harari guys. I got nothing personal against them, but they're contradicting Jesus. And true knowledge is what? In him. And I have been called to preach who? Jesus. 
I live to preach Jesus. All of us should live to preach Jesus. Even if you're real quiet, you never open your mouth, uh, you got to preach Jesus in word and deed. Your life ought to be a sermon. In fact, that's one of the saddest things is when you hear good sermons from the pulpit and then the preacher, their life is not a good sermon. They don't practice what they preach. And, um, but we've got to grow in God's wisdom. And, um, and so Paul preached to every man, warning every man, warning them about persecution, warning them about false teachings, warning them about temptations and sin, all in the wisdom of God, so that we may present every man mature in Christ. That's Paul's goal. God empowered Paul for this ministry, and, uh, and now Jews and Gentiles, we are now equal heirs and members of one body, the body of Christ. So the Gentiles, that mystery has now been revealed, that the Gentiles... We could say it is Christ in us, the hope of glory. I don't put my hope in the stock market. Now, by the way, I'm not, I don't, I don't even do that because I just don't, I don't know what's going on over there. I don't have enough time to figure it out. So if you invest in stocks and more power to you, but that's not where your hope is. If you love Jesus, it's not in that. It's not in your real estate investments. It's not in your bank account. It's not in your job. It's not even in the food you eat. Your hope shouldn't even be in your relatives. And I hope you have good relatives and faithful relatives. But that's not where our hope is. You know, again, the Bible teaches us that God will meet all of our needs. If we, if we are true believers and we love the Lord, God will meet all of our needs. And the other side of that coin is the Bible teaches that all we need is Jesus. So everything can be taken from us except Jesus. They can't take Jesus from you. And so you could, you could find yourself in a prison cell someday, even in solitary confinement, and everything could be taken from you. And you know what all you got? is Christ in you. The hope of glory. And that's all you need. And um, so now we move on to chapter 2, and um, Paul's going to continue here, and he talks about not only the Colossians, but the Laodiceans. Now, we know it wasn't more than a few years after this, the Laodiceans, they became the lukewarm church that Jesus was thinking of spitting out of his mouth in the book of Revelation. So they had some issues coming down later on. Uh, but look at the first three verses of Colossians chapter 2. And so now we move on to the new handouts where Paul talks about, you know, don't be deceived by the false wisdom of man. Colossians 2, verses 1 to 3. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. So he never, he didn't start the church in Laodicea or the church in Coloss. Okay? Um, Epaphras started his buddy, Paul's buddy, one of his disciples started the church in Coloss, and maybe he started the church in Laodicea. Okay? But Paul has this conflict, this great conflict for the church of Coloss and Laodicea. He's probably saying that he's got great anguish for them because of the false teachers among them. He never met either church. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea and as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul is not anti-wisdom. He's not anti-knowledge. But what he's saying is the ultimate. Yeah, we can, we can learn lots of things through what God has revealed to us through nature. 
Okay? But we can learn a much deeper wisdom, but it's all in Christ and in God the Father, and it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? There's always people professing to be Christians and they're not satisfied with Jesus. They want Jesus plus something more. Anything, anything that you study or learn, um, hopefully it is something that helps bring you back to the cross. Okay? But all wisdom and all knowledge is in Christ. So Paul has this great anguish for the Colossians and the Laodiceans because of the false teachers in their midst. You know, we mentioned Matthew 7 and verse 15. Let's look, look that up real quick. Matthew 7 and verse 15. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. Most of the, pe- most of the people who say they love the Sermon on the Mount either never read it or they just didn't study it deep enough to know. Because the Sermon on the Mount is telling us, hey, look, you're all hellbound unless you turn to Jesus. Okay? And so when guys like Mahatma Gandhi, who refused to acknowledge Jesus as God, claimed he liked the Sermon on the Mount, it's like, dude, I don't know what Sermon on the Mount you're reading, but it's not the, it's not the one I read. Matthew 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Okay? Uh, false prophets. It wouldn't be, it'd be easy if false prophets showed up as wolves in wolves' clothing. But because they show up as wolves in sheep's clothing and they look like sheep, that means we better get grounded in the Word. That's what churches are supposed to help you. It's supposed to have a pastor or a pastoral staff uh, ahead of the ladies' ministries as well that can that ground their people in the Word of God. Um, and to see, be able to see, no, Bill Gates sounds like a nice man. But think about what he's saying. He wants billions of people removed from the planet Earth. Does that sound nice? You know, and uh, C.S. Lewis and other scholars have told us the tyranny that is the most dangerous is the tyranny that takes more power by claiming to want to help you more. Okay? What did Ronald Reagan said? Uh, what is it? I'm from... Uh, I think he said, call it something like the eight scariest words. Um, that you could ever hear. Somebody knocking on your door saying, we're from the government, we're here to work. We're here to help. Okay? So just because somebody says they want to help you, okay, doesn't mean they're a good guy. Doesn't mean they're a good gal. In fact, a lot of times, a lot of times you'll have very liberal politicians releasing violent criminals from prison or not even sending them there in the first place then infringing on the law abiding citizens right to protect themselves right to bear arms and then when crime increases these politicians are the ones who cause the problem and they say hey listen to us we got the solution and before we laugh and say wow how can anybody be that dumb to go to the guys who caused the problem and look to them for the solution well, read Anthony Fauci's emails about the Wuhan lab and the gain-of-function research. You can make a pretty good case that he helped fund and helped lead the problem that turned into COVID, and now we're going to trust in him for the solution. Okay? Um, just because somebody says they love you and they're here to help doesn't mean they're a good guy. Okay, and because um, the, the wolves, when the wolves show up, they're usually wearing sheep's clothing. Okay, um, believe me, I've read an English translation of many of Adolf Hitler's his lectures. Okay, 
And early on, he knew that most of the population were professing Christians. And so he would time and time again give glory to his God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, Jesus said that we'll know the false teachers by their fruit. You don't have to inspect a whole lot of fruit of Adolf Hitler to find out he was lying through his teeth. Now, if you looked at his behind-the-scenes personal letters to the Gestapo, it was like, let's get rid of the Jews now and the gypsies and the Marxists. And after World War II is over, then uh, we need to come up with a strategy to deal with these Christians. So for the time being, it was like, I need these Christians, especially the ones that don't even know what they're supposed to believe. Somebody's got to do my evil stuff for me. So just because somebody says they love you, okay, doesn't mean that we should believe them. And so these false te teachers, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. Even though Paul never met either assembly, either congregation, either church, he wants to encourage them to be knit together in love and to grow in understanding. If those are the only two things, you know, I've had people visit Trinity Bible Fellowship. It took us, what, 33 years before we got our own building, 24-7 building. We just used to rent gymnasiums and stuff. And, um, but I'll often get visited by, by people. They'll visit the church. And they want to know what our, what our goals are and this and that. And, and goals are a good thing, but just don't let them get in the way of doing God's work. But, you know, how about this for a goal? You know, some, some church pastors will tell you, our goal is to uh, raise $10 million and uh, buy property in a certain area and build a $6 million facility and with a huge parking lot and um, lead, you know, 1,000 people to Christ. You know, I mean, a lot of those goals aren't necessarily bad, but we ought to, we ought to make sure we, get, we fulfill the God-ordained goals before we start thinking that our ideas are actually coming from God and our plans and all. Paul says, look, I want you to be knit together in love. How's that for a goal, Trinity Bible Fellowship? Be knit together in love? Is that, is that what you think when you come to church on Sunday? I can't wait to just get with the people who love me more than my own family. Be knit together in love and grow in understanding. Okay? So, you know, you might say... Um, you know, Pastor Phil, I don't think you're the best ad the best administrator um, or CEO type that I've ever met. Well, I better not be, because those are not my strengths. Um, you know, and uh, but people will act like that, but it's just like, look, at the very least, if we can be knit together in love and then grow in the understanding of God's word, understanding that God does not want us to be biblically illiterate. I've seen lots of Christians at really fancy churches and really beautiful buildings and stuff, and sometimes you talk to their people and they can't even tell you that God is three persons. Sometimes you ask people the scary question. What must I do to be saved? Why is this scary? Because not all professing Christians know the answer to the question. Uh, we got to be knit together in love and grow in understanding. God does not want us to be biblically illiterate. If, uh, if you were away in combat and your spouse was writing you love letters, you couldn't tell your spouse that you loved her if you weren't, would, would never read her letters. If you love God, he wrote us 66 books. You ought to read them. God doesn't want us to be biblically literate. He wants us to be loving, but he also wants us to grow in understanding as well. That's why I say true spirituality, I got it from Francis Schaeffer, 
true spirituality equals propositional truth. We've got to learn the true teachings from God's word plus personal relationship. It's not either or. It's both and. We need to have that personal love, faith, relationship with the Lord Jesus, but it's got to be based on wisdom and knowledge from God's word. Okay? And so we need to grow an understanding of what? The knowledge of God's mystery, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's the mystery of the Father and of the Son, of the Christ, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, the one that God anointed and sent into the world uh, to rescue us. And, um, and then Paul tells us, all knowledge and wisdom are hidden not in the Gnostic mystery cults, they're hidden in Christ. So once you're initiated into Christianity by trusting in Jesus for salvation, now you have access to all uh, the knowledge and wisdom of God which are hidden in Christ. This knowledge and wisdom, they are not found (coughs) in the Gnostic mystery cults. They're not found in Mary Baker Eddy and Christian Science Cult. They're not found in Joe Smith's Mormonism. They're not found in the Jehovah's Witnesses or the New Age Movement or in Atheism. Okay? Uh, They're not found in the wisdom of globalists who don't view human beings as important as individuals. We're only important collectively. Um, All wisdom and knowledge is found in Christ. I'm going to close with 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Don't be like that guy that used to come to our church years ago who thought that wisdom is sinful. Okay? False anti-Christian wisdom is sinful. Biblical wisdom. Wisdom in Christ. You know, you, you were created to love God, to worship God, and to grow in your knowledge of God. Wisdom is not evil, but it's got to be true wisdom, God's wisdom, rather than the faulty wisdom of man. So Paul slams in in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, he's slamming the pagan anti-Christian philosophers, the so-called wisdom of man. But Paul says this, and by the way, the word philosophy, we're going to look at it next week, philosophy from two Greek words, philos for love and sophia for wisdom, love of wisdom. Love of wisdom is not bad. C.S. Lewis used to say that good philosophy needs to exist if for no other reason than because bad philosophy exists. Okay? If you don't have true wisdom, how are you going to refute false wisdom? And, um, and so 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, after slamming the wisdom of the world, Paul says this, But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us, what? Wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Christ came to us, became to us wisdom from God. And then he says, verse 31, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. You want to boast? You boast in the Lord. Somebody tells you, you're a very wise person. You boast in the Lord. So I got that wisdom from the Lord. Okay? The, the non-Christian philosophers, they're searching all over for truth. Now, right now, philosophers hate truth, but throughout the centuries, they searched all over for truth. Sometimes they stumble over the truth accidentally. Uh, most of the time, they come up with theories that turned out to, later on to be false. Okay? So it's kind of like when you're a Christian philosopher, it's almost like cheating. You look at the non-Christian philosophers and they're trying to find truth in their own strength. If you're a Christian philosopher, you got God's word. 
It's like I talk to the one who knows everything. I get my wisdom from him even before I start searching. So that if I do search a little, what God's revealed in nature, I can test what I think I'm learning with God's word. God does not want you to be unwise. If you are unwise, you are going to fall prey to the lies of the world. And and believe me, um, the false teachings are getting so elaborate, okay, that we are going to be viewed, we're already viewed this way in, in our culture, if you're a Christian, you're, you're unwise, you're ignorant, and, um, and you're evil because you just rain on everybody's parade. Look at that. You took away a woman's right to have abortion is what they're telling us now. As if there's ever been a right uh, to kill unborn babies. Um, but they'll act like, you know, you, don't, you miss out. You don't have this wisdom. Now keep in mind, the ones who are telling us about this wisdom, just a couple weeks ago, they were telling us that we don't know what a woman is. Okay? Just a couple weeks ago, the question, what is a woman? A lady who's appointed by President Biden to nominate it for the Supreme Court, she can't answer that question, what is a woman? And you press them on the issue. And the people who accept this wisdom of man, I can't tell you what a woman is. No difference anymore between men and women. There's 70 different genders, but there's no difference. You know, it's like, what in the world are you talking about? A couple weeks ago, they were telling us, we don't know the answer to the question, what a woman is. Now in the last few days, they're telling us, look at those evil Christians and that evil Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade and took away a woman's right to have abortion. All of a sudden, they know what a woman is again. Okay? That's the foolishness that we're being, being thrown at. And if you don't accept that foolishness, then people look down on you. They probably even feel sorry for you, and then they probably even think you're evil. we got to stand up with Joshua. Because all wisdom is in Christ, We've got to stand up against the false wisdom of the world and say with Joshua, you know, we, we made our choice. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Okay? That makes people angry at us. So be it. But we're going to preach Jesus with warning and teaching in all wisdom. We're going to preach Jesus till he comes back in glory and we see him face to face. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we love you, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that uh, we would be diligent, not just in studying your word and growing in your wisdom, but also in applying your word through the power of the Holy Spirit and for your glory. Uh, help us, Lord. Some of us need help to be more courageous when we're out there with our unsaved friends. Others of us need to learn to turn the other cheek better. But whatever it is, Lord, help us to be more and more like your son Jesus each and every day. Help us to grow in your wisdom and in your righteousness. Help us to see through the lies of the evil one Help us to have the courage to fearlessly preach Jesus to a world that does not want Jesus. But help us to give us the boldness that we need through the power of the Holy Spirit to be your people and to represent you to our world. We love you so much, Lord, and we know the days ahead are going to be rough. I thank you that a lot of people are waking up and smelling the coffee, but the days ahead are still going to be rough. We love you so much, Lord. Please, Lord, help us to love you more. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. All right, God.